What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by Zach Jacobson, the guy who. Calls me Chad all the time. Tough to get on the podcast these days. <laughs> Avatar on Twitter is a dog. Don't really understand what's going on there. But uh, Zach, good evening. How are you? Having an identity crisis. Uh, I'm good. I'm good, man. How are you? How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, what is the dog? What is that? It looks like an old dog. I don't. I I is that can't believe I can't believe people don't recognize the movie. It's it's a, a Disney movie from the '90s called Oliver and Company. That dog, his name is Dodger. And that was like one of my favorite movies as a kid. And I stumbled across that picture on the internet one day and I was like, Oh, Hey, you know what? That'd make a good Twitter, uh, AVI. And then mm. it's been, is that it's, how you say it? AVI in real life. You're just like that, dude. I how, have how do you a new AVI that you have to say it's, it's killer. Yeah. I, AVI. I mean, is mm. there an, is there another way to say it? I mean, avatar photo. Yeah. That takes like a little bit more time. <laughs> Like a little mm-hmm. tiny, how little long tiny. Were you about time. to say there? You were just thinking about how long that actually takes, and you're just like, I'll just say a little bit. Yeah, more I was time. trying to give mm-hmm. you an approximate number. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're about analytics here, you know. That's correct. This is a very analytically friendly podcast, as everybody knows. Absolutely. Um, but this is going to be fun because ultimately, this is the NFL offseason, and that sucks because we're just in a really bad sports period anyway. And NBA free agency, um it's cool and everything, but the way people are just obsessing over it all day. And I just imagine it being a real, if this was like my beat and I just had to just sit around on my phone and like get ready to do winners and losers and just every hour look at something else that's happening. I don't like any of it. It's the same reason I don't like watching sports drafts live is I think it's just a gigantic waste of your time and I'll just read everything I need to read and go through everything after it's all over. So like once free agency's over, then I'll really just dive in and look at everything. But the people that spend every waking moment just obsessing over every little thing, I, I don't think it's a good use of your time. But who am I to judge? Um I happy next time. I had a yeah. Um NFL free agency's not really like that. And now we've we're it's settled. We've really got a good feel of um, where everybody's going to be, what kind of schemes people are going to run, who's going to be where, and um, 
I, I just I'm excited because I can really dig my teeth into how each team's gonna look and all that kind of stuff. But instead of doing like really generic, oh, let's do a Buffalo Bills preview for 15 minutes in this podcast. I have no interest in going down that rabbit hole. There are other podcasts, NFL centric podcasts, that are gonna do that. That are good podcasts like the Bill Barnwell Show and all those other ones. I'm sure they'll do that in the, in the coming weeks. I have no interest. I'm not smart enough to opine that much about um, the Matt LaFleur scheme as I'm sure you are and what all they're going to do outside of the three wide outside, which is going to pop up later on this podcast. But ultimately, I was texting you because I thought with our personality types, which are I, I think we can describe and please correct me if i'm wrong zach as um kind of sarcastic and douchey and maybe kind, kind of, of yeah <laughs> yeah you're you're selling a short there man uh we're um, really sarcastic we're probably <laughs> terrible people but i think we're, we're we're flirting with that uh that borderline well that's part of the reason that i think that this is something that would work for us um <laughs> on a consistent basis it's just like us finding things that we read on twitter on the articles that we read and just being like okay i need to air out some grievances i need to um talk about this thing that i saw that my opinion needs to be shared out in the world from an nfl perspective so i have my list of things that i wanted to touch on and um you have your stuff so basically we're going to go back and forth on the things that we read or we saw that we just we have to we have to converse about because ultimately what would the podcasting world be if you and I were not giving our snarky takes on um, all things NFL in the offseason? I, I don't know. This it wouldn't even be a show. It would just be nothing. Just a, just a dark abyss. <laughs> right. We, yeah. we don't want that. Um, I need no, no, no. Not so, at all. Zach, what is the first thing you want to touch on um, from this past week in the NFL? Well, it wasn't from this past week. Okay. But it was from this. It wasn't off to a great month. start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the praise. Speaking of praise, this article is called "In Praise of the Rules and Regulations for NFL Uniforms," and it's written by no other than Sports Illustrated Andy Benoit, who for the longest mm-hmm. time I thought his name was pronounced Andy Benoit, you know, like a like a like a normal Same. person, but apparently, oh, I thought yeah, it was the wrestler, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, but apparently, this this guy, he is the one person whose name isn't pronounced the, the proper way. It's it's Benoit. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone Just knows. Just clear, that- though. Hold on, before you go, you continue and you go on this little uh, diatribe. Um, I, I don't think you're the best person to go at how other people pronounce their name, considering you called me Chad the first time you're on this podcast. So you going after Benoit versus Benoit? Um, a little, little hypocritical and honestly a little off-putting. Yeah, but that was like, that was like totally different though. Right. For, for reasons that I can't, I can't think of at the moment, but it was Mm -hmm. different. It was a totally different experience. And plus, plus Chad, Mm -hmm. I was just barely getting to know you. Right. And now you know me really well. Yeah. You know, I like peanut butter, especially peanut butter before the podcast, whole milk. No, no, not just peanut butter. Don't try, mm. don't try and make yourself sound normal for for your <laughs> listeners. <laughs> peanut butter sandwiches, just <laughs> layers of peanut butter slathered on a piece of bread, and then topped with another piece of bread. That's it. That's your sandwich. That's what you like. <laughs> do you know what else I do? What? I don't eat the whole thing at once, so I cut it up into 
halves. So then I have the other half in these um, uh, meal prep containers, and then I close it up, and then I'll have the other half after this podcast. God, you need to be incarcerated. <laughs> Just eat the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, you know what? We can we can spend like an hour talking about like food takes. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. dive in here. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Andy Benoit. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows how I wouldn't say controversial, but he, he he's a voice on Twitter where he draws in a lot of memes, a lot of interaction with some of the things he says, and one of those things over the last couple of years uh, is kind of pertaining to uh, former Packers running back slash wide receiver Ty Montgomery, who, despite he came out of Stanford as, as a wide receiver, the Packers transitioned into a running back role in 2016. He didn't change his jersey number. He came into the NFL with number 88. The Packers selected him in the 2015 draft. He wore 88. But once he was swapped to running back in, in the heart of the 2016 campaign, they didn't change his number. And Andy Benoit didn't like that. He threw a fit on Twitter almost every single Sunday. Any single time Ty Montgomery did anything of significance, which given the fact that he's been on two different teams since the Packers released him last year, it you know isn't very often. But still. Wait, has he been on two? He went to Baltimore and now he's yeah. in the he's with the New York Jets. Oh, I forgot he's in the Jets now. I just had him on the yep. Ravens. See? There you go. Okay. More yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, so Ever since that happened, he goes on a tirade about the jersey number because he wears 88, saying that defense, it, it's harder for defenses to scheme for the offense. And because this running back that wears 88 is, is somehow just a mismatch. When, of course, of course it's a mismatch. He's this multi-positional player who can play in multiple spots and is obviously a <laughs> dynamic receiving threat out of the backfield. That's what you get. That. That's why teams scheme offensively so they can attack a defense. They get creative with things like that. When you see a running back motion out wide to play to the wide receiver, which is a lot more common in today's NFL, given you know all the offensive coordinators, they're they're you know offense oriented and everyone's going for those young offensive gurus and everything. So you're probably going to see even more of that. But when a running back, let's say for example, who wears number twenty five, motions out wide to play receiver. Is that going to, like, cause the defensive coordinator to have a seizure or something? Is, like, are, are all 11 players on that defense, on that side of the ball, are they all going to have one collective seizure because this running back motioned out wide? I don't understand. So, in this article, uh, Andy Benoit, in this particular article, he says, and I quote, the NFL graces us with jersey numbers that tell an accurate story. When you see an NFL player in uniform, you know almost right away what position he played. That is, of mm. course, unless he is Ty Montgomery, a receiver who years ago became a running back, but inexplicably is still allowed to wear number 88. If the NFL more strictly enforced its own jersey number rules and maybe cut down on the number of times a team can wear alternate uniforms, the league, from a uniform standpoint, will be perfect. So, so any time he gets a chance... perfect? Of- Wait, what? Like, that's the one thing holding the NFL are- back... <laughs> yeah, no, not not the not the domestic violence uh, suitors still playing. And... No, Tyree Kill only getting two games. That uh, that's perfect. Yeah, no, that's fine. That, that's a, yeah, no. Uh, we need and, to and... go ahead and make sure that uh, Ty Montgomery's number situation gets gets solved. That should be at the forefront of NFL meetings. Yes. 
once they tackle that, this league will take a positive step forward. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it, this whole article is basically just uh, praising the rules that keep players like, like robots. Basically, the, this, this article is praising the type of rules that prevent a player from wearing certain cleats or wearing certain, uh, um, should I say, like uh, gloves. You know, nothing, nothing crazy, but things like that. Small things that just tick Benoit, just get under his skin and obviously cause them to write an article about it, which I, I get. This was written on June 11th. I mean, who am I to say, but that was, I'm pretty sure, at the start of minicamp. You know, I'm sure there were tons of headlines out there. But no, you want to write a story on why Ty Montgomery wore number 88 a couple of years ago in Green Bay. And he still wears 88. And I'm, I'm, you know what, Chase? I'm glad he does. Because I know it just drives Ben like crazy. And, like, it just triggers his OCD. And I'm totally here for it. But what if it got back to him? What if Ty Montgomery knew about this, like, this article? I think, he, I think he does. Yeah. I think he did. Well, not this article specifically, but the fact that Benoit just picks such a bone with it, you know, knowing that, you know, not just Montgomery, but any, any player who wears a number that isn't deemed, you know, for his position. I mean, like I said, he's been on this hill since like, since 2016, since Montgomery first transitioned to running back. So he, you know, he's like, he's trying to die on this hill and it's the weirdest hill to die on. And, you know, he's like, like, like a total bootlicker for for these for the for these rules. Like that's what this article is. It's just it's just him bootlicking, bootlicking the rules that the NFL has in place for uniforms and regulations. I, I mean, was he a hall monitor in middle school? Can we rule? He that? probably was. He probably yeah. was. No, he was. He's the kid in the classroom who, when everyone's about to get sent home and released for the day, and the teacher forgets about the homework, he'll raise his yeah. hand and say, Dad, "What about the homework?" <laughs> That's Andy Benoit. <laughs> and I look, I respect the work he does. He he does work hard. He grinds a lot of tape, you know, as as the young But he's got to the, the videos, by the way. Have you seen those minute and a half film I study clips that he's doing? I just saw them today. Yeah. They're he's trying to be uh yeah, he's trying to be uh Brian Brian Baldinger. Mhm. But it, it doesn't with, work. With, his, with his act yeah, with his actual body in the video. I mean, Baldinger well, is weird. Voice. It's in his like living room and I I don't I I don't know. It's just kind of a weird, <laughs> really weird vibe, right? Like, yeah, like I don't like who's filming. I don't know. It's just I don't like any of it. It's all very uncomfortable for me. I, I didn't like it. Very too uh, interpersonal than right. I ever wanted. When I, than I ever wanted to be <laughs> with, with with this man. <laughs> Oh, it's God. almost like one of those things. Do you remember the, like, uh, it's almost like an Arrested Development thing where like I could just see Tobias Fuqua doing uh, some equivalent. And sending it into just different acting studios. <laughs> oh god. Oh man. So this story. Oh, there's actually one more line that, very, that, that he opens with. Actually, that I want to share. Mm-hmm. And I quote: "When the NFL fines players for uniform code violations, it's often branded the No Fun League. Really, what's mm-hmm. No Fun is a motley assortment <laughs> of player appearances. Players wearing different colored socks, armbands." Gloves, shoes, mouth guards, etc. Make them look more like the little giant, not a professional football team. It's annoying when a player on a team with, say, blue and white colors has a red mouthpiece. End quote. There's no way that's real. There's no it's way real. you said that. Those are real words that I just read to you. 
Oh, man. I, I don't know where to start to break that down. I mean, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Can we rule out that Roger Goodell wrote this and Andy Benoit agreed to publish it under his, his byline? I wouldn't put it past him. If you're angling for a, uh, a spot in the league office, this is the kind of piece you want to write. This is what you want to do if you want to get on the NFL's radar of like, okay, we'll, give, we'll feed him whatever he wants. This is our new, like, whenever we need someone to carry our water, um, this is our guy. This is who we're texting. Oh, it's like he owed the NFL a favor or something. Right. Like, hey, oh, you know what? One way you can repay us? Publish this story. That's it. Um, who's next? Like, I think what follows up here is kind of like the, the Ross Tucker, um, equivalent, which is actually something that I didn't put in my notes, but I did think it was an interesting piece. Um, I thought it was a little too short and not really fleshed out all that much, but like it, um, (laughs) talking about like Tom Coughlin running the Jaguars and the Jaguars being like the most undisciplined un Tom Coughlin like team and just how that all works. And like, if the team isn't disciplined and falling in his mold and what's the point of Tom Coughlin and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that's, that's the follow-up of like, why aren't, why aren't the Jaguars um, paying more attention to Tom Coughlin and uh, attending uh, voluntary OTAs? Like, I feel like that was, that should have been one of his stories this summer of just like, it's extremely selfish for uh, professional football players not to attend voluntary workouts. Oh, those are my favorite kinds of stories. Or, or right. not even stories, just tweets. You know, the ones where... That happened last year with the, Julio the Jones. Falcons fans were turning on Julio, or at least some were, and just sports talk radio in the city was losing their mind and just the unselfishness. It's like, I love the, you signed a contract people. That crowd is always very normal and having rational ones online. I'm very, very into those people of like, you signed the contract, you, you should be there, you should do this, you should do that and fulfill your obligations and blah, blah, blah. Those are, that's, that's my favorite subset of sports Twitter is, uh, follow your contract and, uh, just, <laughs> uh, I, I missed that because Julio's not getting that same kind of buzz last year. It's it pretty ridiculous, but, um, I missed that, that time period in Atlanta sports. It's funny because those people have like not even the slightest clue what those contracts entail and what what those obligations are. They're talking about oh, hold true to your obligations. You signed a contract. What are those obligations? Do you know? Do you know what was in the contract? And also, like, how do you think you fight for raises in um, sports and in this kind of stuff? You use your leverage. You are willing exactly. to sacrifice some money now to um, get more money later. And it's like uh, football players is like the weirdest one to attack for being um i'm not even selfish just being um adamant about earning as much as you can in a very short time frame like the it's just a very blip it's a blip in your life for most of these guys like the majority of their life um will not be playing football and this is the best opportunity they have to earn a ridiculous amount of money and um attacking them for taking uh as many just like just doing whatever they can to maximize their earning potential in a very short prime stint is uh very very silly to me and um very very stupid is what i would say i agree completely all right so was there anything else in there outside of the montgomery and the uh the the um distaste for different colored uh uniforms and mouth guards no, I think I, I, 
think if I keep going, I'm going to end up beating it to death more than any Benoit already has. Okay, so there we go. First one. Um, I think this is going to be great. I mean, we're both going to get fired from something from this podcast at some point, but uh, maybe that's what we can call it. The NFL don't get fired um, iteration. <laughs> Uh, um, well, that's good. At least I'm an independent podcaster, and Cheesehead TV is going to be fine with it, right? Like they're gonna, they're okay with uh, the Zach Jacobson snark, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, they're, they're Zach. fine. Yeah. <laughs> now they don't have a choice, <laughs> or maybe I don't have a choice. Um, it's fine. We are who we are, and this is a podcast where we're going to embrace our own. Um, just hey you know what we're critics that's basically what we are we're just we're critics and this is all in good fun right right i don't know very we'll very outspoken critics yeah um so what i have on my list this is actually a um something that i enjoyed a piece on football outsiders uh the expansion of 11 personnel and uh i don't know if you read this piece in the last week but i thought it was in incredibly interesting because we just hear a lot about how 11 personnel is kind of the new West coast offense of the two thousands um, fullbacks just being phased out and most teams just running a three wide receiver set. So nickel is the, the primary defensive package and alignment and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, the game has changed and Matt LaFleur is one of the big guys behind this and Sean McVay, who I found in this story that like there's two different things that I thought was super interesting. One Ben McAdoo, was running like Sean McVay's scheme. He just didn't have the players. And like, we mm-hmm. love to, to rag on McAdoo, but like what he was doing was kind of ahead of the curve. He just had a bad quarterback and a bad offensive line and just not the horses outside of Odell Beckham to do what he wanted to do. But um, I think, and I'm not like, I don't know. It's just weird that I came out of this going, Oh, if you put Ben McAdoo on a lot of these other teams with just different, like on the Bengals, if he was the coach of the Bengals and he was coaching um, just that offensive line from a couple of years ago. And he um, had AJ green, Tyler Boyd, who broke out this year, Tyler Eifert and guys like that. And just split three out wide and had somebody who could do all that. He, we might look at Ben McAdoo differently because he was running that 11 personnel in those three wideouts scheme and all that kind of stuff um, with bad players. It just, ended up badly and it just didn't work out. Um, also the Geno stuff and everything else is weird, but not over 90% of, um, the, uh, the Rams plays last year, offensive plays were out of 11 personnel. So 958, uh, plays, um, was 11 personnel. The next closest 12 personnel, 70 plays. (laughs) Um, 56 of those plays came in week 16 and 17 when Todd Gurley was out with a knee injury. So if Todd Gurley doesn't get hurt at the end of the season, I think it's like 99% of their offensive plays were in three wide receiver sets. How insane is that? And the only time that they probably weren't is probably when they were kneeling the ball. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wild, but also it works because they were second in offensive DVOA. And if you look at their list when they were compiling all the teams that ran um, a high percentage of 11 personnel, those are the best offenses in football outside of a couple glaring examples in teams that were doing it and they just didn't have the personnel. Like the Cardinals did a bunch of it. Historically mm-hmm. bad offense. They didn't have the wide receivers, the offensive line, um, the quarterback there all kinds of reasons as to why that didn't work out so some teams were doing it just because that's what the nfl is doing right now but they don't have the horses and then you have the 49ers which i was i was all about it because as you know zach 
gigantic Kyle Shanahan guy. Um, mm-hmm. They're doing the exact opposite. Like they're running 12 personnel to an unreal degree. Nobody in the NFL is doing what the 49ers are doing. And part of that is when you look at their wide receiver groups last year, you're like, oh, I know why they were doing that. It's just they're like, we don't have a choice. Like, we we can't uh, send out three wide receivers and expect to survive, especially when Jimmy Garoppolo went down and everything else, that, like, they are pivoting in a way that um, still put together a good offense, um, but it's just not what the rest of the NFL is running. And I'm curious to see um, with Pettis, with Debo Samuel, with George Kittle, with um, Jarek McKinnon, who will be split out wide, Tevin Coleman will be split out wide. Like, um, I wonder if they go less twelve personnel and go and their fullback, who they have the highest paid fullback in football. Uh, that's it's just part of what Kyle Shanahan likes. But I just wonder if they switch with a healthy Garoppolo, more talented wide receiver, and kind of get more, um, uh, just kind of move closer to what Sean McVay and the rest of the NFL is doing, not to the Sean McVay extent. And also like, I wonder if Sean McVay reels it back with Gurley, not being the guy he was. And um, I I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it was obviously effective, but I wonder if teams um, adjust and they're not able to just relentlessly attack you with uh, the Cooper cup, um, Robert Woods and uh, Brandon cooks alignment. Um, that they just murder people with last year. It's it's all interesting, and I, I I just I like the piece. I like that you mentioned the fullback in Shanahan's offense because that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for Matt Lafleur in Green Bay because that's going to give that that like breathes life into the position. Same with the tight end position. You know, when Mike McCarthy was there, the offense was fail and tight ends couldn't really you know function in that offense these last few years. Jared Cook struggled. Martellus Bennett never transpired into anything. Obviously. Uh, uh, Lance Kendricks had, had difficulty seeing snaps. Jimmy Graham struggled last year. Um, but more so that fullback position, because there's going to be opportunities for, for, for these guys, specifically Danny Vitale, the fullback on the roster right now. Uh, he's going to have opportunities to actually not just run the ball, but he's going to be schemed open into space. He's going to be running routes, being able to catch the ball, whether out of the backfield or, or, or uh, uh, intermediate passes. Like, you know, he comes from that same Matt LaFleur. He comes from that same tree as Kyle Shanahan, as Sean McVay. You know, the, the Mike Shanahan tree. All, all three of the – four of those guys actually were, were in Washington earlier this decade. So, you know, they all kind of have those same philosophies built into their offense. That's just, that's just one of the things that I'm so excited for, you know, with, with LaFleur coming to Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be doing a lot of that same kind of stuff, and I just – I, I think it's going to be interesting. And I think it's going to be closer to what the Packers were a couple of years ago than uh, people realize, right? How so? Like uh, in 2016? So when you look at just kind of what they're going to be doing, like um, Geronimo Allison, and like they have a lot of young guys who their wide receiver grouping, um, because they were so consistent. I forgot who I was reading, um, just kind of, I forgot which piece it was. Um, but basically, like, we take for granted just that continuity at wide receiver where it was Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, and Devontae Adams for oh, years. Yeah. And he just knew his three guys, and that three wide receiver set is just perfect. Um, and it was just really good for uh, a, a, a elongated amount of time. And then they all moved on and um, you saw how Randall Cobb felt about it. Like a girlfriend broke up with you, which was kind of sad um, reading yeah. Randall Cobb talk about his departure in green Bay and then Jordy Nelson stuff. He just fell off a cliff with the injury. And then um, Devonte Adams, obviously being um, at that next level and leading this new group, 
But Geronimo Allison is just a great slot guy. He's someone who um, has been inside it out, and it looks like he's back in the slot, right? They're going to move him as a primary slot receiver coming into this year. Isn't that the, the new thing? Because um, he didn't use – he was outside a lot last year. Am I remembering that right, or is he going he, back? He, Do I have it he was. Yeah, in, in 2017 and last season before he got hurt, ended up on injured reserve. He, he played outside a lot, but he can play in the slot too, and so can Devontae Adams. So they're going to be – they're going to be rotating these guys a lot. Like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the, the rookie from last year, is going into his second right. season. And he's him going outside. And, and, like, more than likely, yeah. I know Matt, Matt LaFleur, he wants those that like a big slot receiver. And, you know, he, he's trying to stray away from that that prototypical, small kind of, what's, what's the word? You know, scrappy guys, you know, that can just come over the middle, kind of like Randall Cobb was. You know, he's trying to stray from that. He's getting a bigger body in the slot, whether that's Devontae Adams, Allison, or Valdez Scanling. Because Valdez Scanling and Allison, they can both play on the perimeter. So can Adams. So that just gives them so much kind of uh, flexibility to just play these guys wherever they want. And you still have Equinemius St. Brown, who who is also not really ruled out of uh, playing in the slot either. You know, they have they have multiple guys that can fill various roles, and that's just that's one of the things that's just going to make that position group so interesting. Yeah. Um, and the last thing on this 11 personnel article that I, uh, this actually really, uh, really pissed me off was the Falcons ran 59% of 11 personnel last year. This is like the biggest indictment of the Steve Sarkeesian uh, offense in that, is there a better three wide receiver grouping in the NFL right now than Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and Mohamed Sanu? Uh, Not really wasting time with end arounds uh, with Calvin Ridley and, uh, Tevin Coleman halfback dives right up the middle. Like, why was every, why were they not doing the Sean McVay thing of okay, Ridley Jones and Sanu are going to be in the game at all times, and Austin Hooper too. Like, this is this is what's happening. Those dudes are on the field basically every single play. Like the Cup Woods Cook stuff in um, L.A. Like, I, I don't know why ninety percent of their offensive plays did not have those three in the field. There's no reason I don't think to to not just over-utilize something like that. I mean, I guess part of it was their bad offensive line. Um, but I, I think with Dirk Cutter in the fold, I think we're going to see a lot more of that 11 personnel in those three wide receiver sets and just um, Devontae Freeman being on his own in the backfield before he inevitably gets injured again. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think that might be the biggest sin of the Steve Sarkeesian era is just not having those three on the field as much as humanly possible. Yeah, and no, the more I hear about Steve Sarkeesian in that offense, like there's like so many mixed reviews about it. I mean, there's no reason, no, there's no reason why Julio Jones should struggle in the red zone the way he does, and there's no reason. Why, well, I do think like five of his like eight touchdowns, I think last year came in the red zone, but still, before that, he would he would just he was like an enigma in the red zone. He's a monster between the twenties, but there's no reason why like that offense just having the guy that they have, like you mentioned, that's arguably like like the best top trio of receivers in football on any team, there's no reason why they should struggle the way they do. So, I mean, I see why you're mad. <laughs> well, it's over. And now this this team should be, we're going to throw the, the ball down your throat. We're going to utilize these last couple of years of Matt Ryan's prime, and Dirk Cutter is just going to um, force feed, and hopefully Lindstrom and Brown and all their new offensive line additions work out. But ultimately, I think if they're not in 11 personnel, just about – every other snap just about every snap then i'm just gonna be very upset every ito smith three yard halfback dive is gonna it's gonna bother me if i see one more calvin ridley end around or jet sweep or whatever i uh 
I think I, I'm going to have a brain aneurysm um, Sunday afternoons. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. But anyway, next thing on your list, what's what what else do you have that you would like to um, unload on, Zach? Well, this one isn't really as... It's not as fun of a story as the first one I mentioned with Andy Benoit. This one uh, from The Athletic by Nate Taylor, and uh, it pertains to Tyreek Hill. Apparently, he's going to face a maximum four-game suspension. That's maximum. Now, keep in mind, Tom Brady got a four-game suspension a few years ago for probably, possibly, more than likely, maybe deflating footballs. This guy who assaulted his pregnant wife at the time in 2014, it, it dismissed him from his, his, uh, his, pro, his college program, and was, on, was literally recorded on audio saying that she should be scared of him. So should their, their, their kid, their little son, who broke his arm by apparently falling. They concluded that he fell, he braced for his fall, and he ended up breaking his arm. But I mean, are we so sure about that? Are we so sure that that's how it happened when you take into account the kind of the monster that he's living with, his father, Tyreek Hill? And the whole premise of this story, it leads off with a likely NFL suspension looming, Chiefs ready to welcome back Tyreek Hill in training camp. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why you would, as the Chiefs, as the organization, I understand why you would want to stand by one of your players through thick and thin. It's like a marriage. Especially when he's one of your be- he's like your biggest cash cow. That's one of your biggest players. But for the life of me, I can't figure out why you would take morality kick it to the back seat and put your gold, your Super Bowl aspirations in the passenger seat. That just, that blows my mind. And it's, and it's completely tone deaf just as a franchise, as a Chiefs franchise to just, and like, just blow it aside. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be conversation. There's going to be discourse in that building between coaches, staff, you know, the, the front office players are even going to be talking about behind his back. Obviously it's, it's, it's the biggest cat, it's the elephant in the room. But just like, to, to, what, to what degree do you say like, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is bad for us. This is bad for PR. This is just bad for the look of our football team. Like they're, with this, I feel like they're venturing into Washington Redskins territory. And we all know how bad Dan, uh, Dan Snyder is with, with, with some of these uh, instances. He is probably the most tone deaf owner out there, general manager, whatever. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to think about it a little bit. I mean, Jerry Jones. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Well, he's, okay, he's one of the most tone deaf. <laughs> the NFC East, all of them are canceled there. essentially. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know what's interesting is just like how quickly things change there over the summer, right? Like we. I think all of NFL Twitter just assumed that was it. And just any decent human being was like, oh, this is finally over. He's gone. Like, there's no way this dude plays football again. There's no way he can come. Like, the audio was enough. Like, the audio was chilling. Yeah. It was, that's the part we're all forgetting here is that we have audio. It wasn't just like a he said, she said situation. It was a, um, exactly. we listened. I remember where I was when I listened to that reporter, like, leak the audio. I remember just being like, no way. There's no way. That, oh my God. Like this is, 
both vile, disgusting, and just like, oh, this is scary. And I mean, <sighs> this happened in college. This happened here. I at what if point he's only getting a two game, line? like, well, like. <sighs> Why are like are we really going to assume that this is not going to happen again? Like, there's not going to be something else that pops up the longer he's on this team and the longer this drags out and the longer his NFL career goes. Like, at some point, like, there's no question he's not playing again if he's not just this insanely talented wide receiver. They like I. This is super cynical, but I just I don't think he's playing football again. He's only getting a two game ban, or he's even still on the roster if. He's not an elite football player in this league. Like that's just, I mean, it You're goes right. back to the Adrian Peterson stuff. It goes back to like, there's different rules for different guys. And I, I don't know. It's all really depressing and not at all surprising. I don't know why I talked myself into believing that Tyreek Hill was just going to be gone and that was going to be it. And you move on and this is it. But it certainly seems like he is going to, be playing football for the chiefs again and it's going to be weird to write about him and talk about this whole situation because he is heavily targeted it's him and kelsey the arguably the most dynamic wide receiver tight end dynamic in the nfl patrick mahomes targets them both to death and that's what they did in the playoffs last year and like mahomes is the favorite to an mvp again and part of the reason he is the favorite is because he's probably getting tyreek hill for 14 games um it's just all going to be uncomfortable and it's going to suck. It's one of those things where it's going to suck, especially if you're a Chiefs fan. Like think about how shitty this is going to be where if he wins you football games and he <sighs> helps Patrick Mahomes win, a, win another MVP, like I, it just, it all sucks and they should not be in this position. It shouldn't come to this. I, I don't know how it's come to this, but damn. And it, it seemed like they were prepared for him not not to be there. Yeah, you draft McCole Hardman and like yeah, yeah, exactly. they're moving on. Yeah. And that's and they're really similar players. Hard Hardman's a speedster. He's gonna he's like gonna blow that offense wide open once he kinda once he really, you know, gets a grasping of the ropes and settles into it, you know, the professional type and everything and you know, the expectations of him. But now it's just like it's about welcoming back you're like rolling out the red carpet, walking him back. Oh, you know, oh pat him on the back. Welcome back. Like what if he does get a maximum of four-game suspension, what is that going to do? Like you said, I, I mean, he, he did this in college. He did this here in the NFL. Who's to say it's not going to happen again? I mean, obviously, this goes way beyond the NFL, and it, it goes as far as law enforcement, making sure that his family is safe from him. But still, I, I mean, you, you sit out four games. What's what's the big deal? Honestly, what's the big deal sitting out four games when 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 this is the stipulation? The fact that he assaulted his pregnant girlfriend and threatened her on audio. I mean, I, they're suspending him for the audio. Like that, that's clear. That violated the league's uh, personal conduct policy. Just the audio is threatening comments towards the wife or, or yeah, the girlfriend and about about the kid. But that shows right there. He still has those like psychotic intentions, those those like, you know, that 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 negative vibe about him that he's that he is still thinking that way. He's still thinking like someone is going to beat on this chick again, you know. And it's it really is scary. 
That's, it just sucks. That's my, and yeah. I just don't see this yeah. ending well. And the NFL deserves whatever happens after this. Like, this is the Chiefs especially. And um, it shouldn't come to this. He should not be playing football again. He should not be in the NFL. The Chiefs should not have him in the roster. And um, this should all be done. But uh, that's not the case. And it, it just sucks. Um, to transition away from just dark times um, on that front to something that I think you and I can both appreciate. Um, Miles Jack has a side hustle um, selling mm-hmm. candles, which I didn't know about this. Did you know about this? Hear about this? I, I did not. Okay. So Miles Jack uh, candles by Jack or something is what it's called. Um, candles by Miles or the, Oh, I don't know which one it's called, but something like that. Jalen Ramsey and Leonard Fournette um, found out about it. And um, (laughs) one of them said, and I believe this is Leonard Fournette who is quoted here, everybody do not support Miles Candles. That shit don't last two days. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's when you know he's your friend, man, if he's giving you honest reviews like that. (laughs) What? And here's a a follow-up quote. What that shit called? Candle by Miles? Miles made that blank at home making candles supposed to be at home studying the goddamn playbook. <laughs> Things are going really well in Jacksonville. Tom Coughlin, he is sleeping perfectly well at night. Doug Marone, super excited about the upcoming season. Just all around great stuff. I, for one, appreciate it. Uh, I, I love this. Um, I w- now I want them on Hard Knocks. I think the Raiders may have been a mistake because I just want whole episodes dedicated to the Miles Jack um, candle side hustle and just certain players figuring out about it and doing their own Amazon reviews of the candles and how long they last. But great stuff here. I, I love um, I love all of this. <laughs> that reminds me, who, <laughs> who, who are the players? I think there were two of them. They had like a cupcake business. I remember what you're talking about. Was this the Giants? Were these? I, I, I don't know. I don't but was this OCU Menorah? Who is this? Justin I think Tuck. it was OCU Menorah. Yeah, never mind. Oh, no, yeah, Justin Tuck. It was one of the two Giants, uh, Giants defensive linemen. I can't remember who it was exactly, but it was one of those two guys. They had like a cupcake business, and there was a commercial, and one of them was like wearing like this, this like girly little apron. <laughs> it, it, it was just great. Oh, is it Brian Arakpo? I don't think so. Brian Arakpo's sweet offseason, um, and Michael Griffin. Here it is. It's Brian Arakpo and Michael Griffin. They opened up a uh, a cupcakes. I thought it was the Giants for some reason, but I could. I thought so I, too. That's weird. I don't know, but I remember what you're talking about here. Either way, they're giant football players making cupcakes. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope there's someone in their car right now on their way to work and just yelling. It's not it, just yelling. Who the actual cupcake? Uh, proprietors were in the nfl from a couple years ago of like obviously um the well actually guys just for the cupcake business um from nfl players i really hope there's someone who just has that information handy and just knows in the back of their head that like this was their thing i i I know this stuff this was their time to shine and we can't hear that Um, this is the one time I wish this was a radio show where if we were we were live on the radio and people just started calling in of like you idiot it's so and so and then just be like yeah you're right uh, that was that was my my mistake I, I we got them mixed up um all right do you do you have anything else on your end or do I go to mine now 
You can go to yours. That was actually that was actually my final story. Okay. Well, this is how we'll wrap up because um, I thought this was extremely interesting. This is out of SB Nation NFL. Um, something I had forgotten about or I just didn't realize was so close to happening at the time was the Saints trading for Tony Romo. So I don't know how familiar you were with this 10, how many years ago was it now? 13, something like that. Cause I, I didn't even realize how long Sean Payton has been the head coach of the saints, which yeah, is baffling now. Yeah. It's uh, I think so. He, yeah. 2000, is it five? I think, uh, no, 2006. Yeah. Um, but he was under Parcells from 2003 to 2005. Um, Sean Payton, Tony Romo, both were quarterbacks at Eastern Illinois. And Sean Payton was the one who helped persuade Tony Romo to sign with the Cowboys when he went undrafted in 03. And apparently there were other options, but Sean Payton was like the recruiter to bring him to um, Dallas. And of course he was the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach at the time. And I don't know these little things I just didn't realize. And looking back of like, okay, what happens if the saints traded for Romo because that's what apparently in Bill Parcells, his book, one of his recent ones, um, the Cowboys would not accept anything less than a second round pick for Romo. The saints were offering a third round pick. And this is before they had drafted or they had traded for or signed, excuse me, Drew Brees. And of course, remember Drew Brees is in the running for them and the dolphins. And we already know what would have happened if the dolphins had signed Drew Brees and not, um, traded a second round pick for Dante Culpepper. Uh, turned out that did not pay dividends for the Nick Saban era. Um, also, who was the offensive coordinator where for the Dolphins at that time? Do you remember? I do not. Brian Dabble, current offensive coordinator for the Bills. Um, oh wow, <laughs> that's a that name I have not heard in that in so long. I didn't even know he existed anymore. <laughs> it it's wild. So. Romo obviously was still Drew Bledsoe's backup and had not thrown a pass and the, the and he was an undrafted free agent and the Cowboys were adamant they were not giving up anything less than a second round pick for um, Tony Romo. So we know how the story goes and Drew Brees signs in New Orleans. They won a Super Bowl, MVP, all that kind of stuff. But what happens there? Like what kind of career does Tony Romo have in New Orleans? What if Drew Brees ends up in Miami, he's probably not a Hall of Famer. Like, this actually went really well for Drew Brees, obviously. But, like, man, if Romo had gotten Sean Payton's scheme and had worked in that organization for the last thir- for his 13-year career, like, what does that look like? Does he get a Super Bowl ring? Do we look at Tony Romo completely differently? Do we look at Drew Brees completely differently? Is Nick Saban still the coach in Miami if he gets Drew Brees? Is, like, there are just so many different things that could have happened if the Saints were just willing to give up a second-round pick instead of a third-round pick for Tony Romo. Is that not wild? It really is. You know, like looking back now, obviously in 2019, and just seeing the careers that they've had, and I mean, I've always thought Tony Romo was kind of an underrated quarterback and like underappreciated. Like I thought he was a lot better than, than most people give him credit for. So if you put him in New Orleans with someone who is like able to maximize his his abilities and what he's able to do. I mean, like you said, we would be looking at at this guy completely differently. And here's some stats looking at both of them. Drew Brees, 18 seasons, 67% completion percentage, 
Romo, 13, 65% completion percentage, 248 touchdowns to 717 interceptions for Romo, um, 520 touchdowns versus 233 interceptions for Breeze. Um, Yards per attempt, Romo is actually higher, which surprised me, than uh, Breeze at 7.9 for Romo, 7.6 for Breeze, 97.7 career passer rating for Drew Breeze, 97.1 career passer rating for Romo. I just, when you go through the numbers and just their prime, like even the year that the Saints won the Super Bowl in 09, um, Romo had a really good year that year. We forget about that. He completed 63% of his passes for 4,483 yards, 26 touchdowns, 9 picks. He made the Pro Bowl that year, and they went 11-5, and won the NFC East. Um, he was one game away from facing Peyton and Breeze that season. I I just... There are just so many parallels and so many interesting things where it's like, what if, would Romo have had the same run in 09? Would he have won the Super Bowl the same way the Saints did anyway? I don't know. It's just, man, I wish we could go back in time and just kind of like see what happens. I asked the same question about the, the Eli Manning, Philip Rivers fiasco a couple years before that in the draft. I mean, yeah, if, Eli he, Manning, if Eli Manning went to the Chargers and Philip Rivers went to the Giants, you know, how would that have turned out? That's like one of those that definitely obviously went a lot better for Eli Manning than Philip Rivers, but like... Oh, yeah. Well, see that? I don't know. I mean, obviously he has those two rings, but I mean, outside of the rings... I don't think that I goes mean, well for him in San Diego. I, I don't think Eli Manning has a great career in San Diego. I could be wrong. No, I don't think I don't think so either. But I mean, I, I think, think Philip Rivers was more... Ha- hardware... Hardware aside, yeah, Philip Rivers probably would have been. I think he would have been good whichever team he ended up on. From 2006 to 2014, Romo had more fourth quarter comebacks, which was 23, and game winning drives 27 than any other quarterback. Eight year run, more fourth quarter comebacks, more game winning drives, but no rings. I just, I feel like we, someone's going to write the good book about it. And I'm excited to read it, but shout out to Jeff Perlman. I got your next book idea, buddy. Um, <laughs> just Romo is maybe the most underappreciated quarterback of the last 15 years. I think I'm on that island now. Just going through this and thinking about where he ended up and what what if we would have looked at him like had he gone to New Orleans. Like, I don't know. I just... <sighs> It's wild. All of this is wild, and I love playing these what-ifs, and I love when these biographies come out and these little snippets are revealed of like, oh, if they'd just given up a second-round pick instead of a third-round pick, everything in the NFL is different now. We look at two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks completely different. Differently, we look at um, college football completely differently because Saban probably stays in Miami for a lot longer and never takes the Alabama job and all this other stuff. Like, There's just so many different things that could have happened um had that one little thing happened it's it's just it's wild so i highly encourage people to read that and just kind of look at the similarities between the two and just how that all happened so now we have to read bill parcells biography unfortunately another thing to read and you got me thinking you got my head spinning now what's the new one what's going to be one in like the last two years that we're going to be like oh oh last two years yeah, something like we're going to look that just happened relatively recently, some kind of trade or almost trade that we're like, huh, I wonder how that's going to look. Was there anybody about, else in on Jimmy Garoppolo? 
Who was the other team in on Jimmy Garoppolo before he was traded to the Niners? Was there I anybody? Mean, uh, I don't remember that whole... I feel like it came out of nowhere, right? Like Jimmy getting traded and like... Because that seems like the most obvious to me of like whichever team didn't pony up for Garoppolo and then he like wins a Super Bowl or two in San Francisco with Shanahan. Like I could see something like that. That seems like the most realistic of anyone right now. It's got to be well, a quarterback. While I looked this up, I I, I was going to say if the Bears hadn't hadn't traded the house for Mitch Trubisky to move up and and, and take him. Oh yeah, because who was who did they leapfrog to grab him? Hold on, that's uh best NFC North quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, to you, sir. Oh, uh, you you know what? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna start calling you Chad permanently. Uh, I that whole poll, like in reading that thread, I don't, I'm sure you saw all that of just the NFC North quarterback rankings. Oh but... yeah, trust me, I see everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't find it. Trubisky's a good one. I like that. And before that, before you said last two years, I was going to say if if the 49ers or any other team took Aaron Rodgers, because that could that could go on to like a whole other thing, you know? Because when they took Rodgers, he got put into Mike McCarthy's quarterback school. His mechanics got shifted and adjusted. He sat behind Favre, which obviously helped. But, you know, a lot of things if he went goes to the right. Niners, does he have this career if they take him number one overall? Is he just as good? I don't think so. Because, hmm. you know, McCarthy, he, he left. So it's not like he would have had McCarthy in San Francisco, too. McCarthy went to the Packers in 2006, a year after Rodgers was drafted. Like Rogers coming out of coming out of Cal, he was not he wasn't very good. I mean, obviously he was a, a top two quarterback in the draft that year, but I mean from like a mechanic standpoint, it, he was very accurate, but he just didn't I don't know how I don't know how to describe it. He was very robotic. Remind reminded me a lot of Peyton Manning actually, with how, how he played. You know, and a lot of that that whole offense at Cal it was just uh, like predicated totally on short, quick passes, you know, kind of like what Tom Brady does. Three-step drop, hit his guy, his guy's right there. That's really a lot of what he did at Cal. So his accuracy was on point. Everything was on point. You didn't really feel that arm strength very much, but I don't know if the 49ers w- would have cultivated him the way, the way he was in Green Bay. And like I mentioned, too, he doesn't have Brett Favre in San Francisco to sit behind for three years. Yeah, I... um. I don't think it goes the same way. I would agree. How many years do you think Rodgers has left? Good question. I mean, he's, he's going to turn 36 this year. And he's, he's preaching he all the time. Stuff? Does he go he, full Benjamin Button? He, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> do the, the TB12 method or anything like that, but he follows Brady's diet like really strictly because he wants to like, mm. prolong his career and stuff. I think he plays into his 40s. I think 41 max. All with the Packers? Yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> in a perfect world, I, I would think so. He wants to stay in, in Green Bay. He always talks about wanting to finish his career like with one team, like Tim Duncan and Kobe and those guys. But you know, obviously, I think every change. player says that while they're on the team. Like it's just, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah you're going to say that, gonna... and then eventually, if contract stuff gets murky, if other like all kinds of variables, so many factors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the closest thing now to me is going to be like did the Steelers just give in to Antonio Brown and cost themselves a Super Bowl because the AFC, I really do believe that team when they're all healthy and then the kind of draft that they had with 
um, Devin White and getting that Shazier replacement. And they just had a solid draft. The offensive line is the best it's going to be um, for the duration of Ben Roethlisberger's time under center. Like you knew he had a couple of years left anyway. Just suck it up. Suck these last couple annoying Antonio Brown off the field stuff years up and just hope you can avoid the Pats in a playoff run. And you have a real shot at a Super Bowl. And now I just think they're in this quasi um, rebuild. Like we all like Deontay Johnson as like an Antonio Brown feature guy, but like um, they had him and they had Juju. They had all this talent. And I think I would have just sucked it up with Le'Veon and Antonio Brown. Like, I think that's like, I agree. they overthought it. I think they should have like you're a professional environment, call their bluff. Just be like, y'all are all too good when you're on the field together. We're a team that I think they're like second in wins in the last 10 years. I think they won the second amount of most uh, NFL games um, in the last 10 years. I think it's something like that. I just, I think that's the biggest what if is if they just kept this team together. I, yes, it would cost Mike Tomlin sleep and it'd be frustrating and it would be annoying as hell to do this for another year or two. But I think they should have just paid them and just been like, you know what? I, I don't love this mixture of talent and the personalities and everything else. But when you guys are all on the field together, we can win a Super Bowl. And we've been like just insanely successful for years now. I just, I think they should have kept it going and called their bluff and just saw it through. The longer that they're able to prolong like the potency of their football team and, and, you know, like be good as a unit, then the better chance they have of outlasting the Patriots. Because right now, I don't see the Patriots going anywhere anytime soon. And obviously right. the Steelers, they can't get past New England in the playoffs. But that doesn't mean they'll always play them, which was their biggest thing. I'm like, you might not see them. Like, they may get Baltimore and Ravens or whoever. Like, somebody else may have, like... Maybe not, maybe not in the first round, but, but eventually they're going to have to... If they plan on making a Super Bowl run, they're going to probably have to go through the Patriots at some point. I can guarantee that. No, maybe. Like, the Chiefs could knock them out. They're different. Like, there are all kinds of avenues where the Pats could still lose in the playoffs before they had to play the Steelers. And that was my whole thing. It's just, like, you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs and who you're going to get matched up with and all the other stuff. And I don't know. I think they, I, I, if I was running the Steelers and I was Kevin Colbert, I would have just wrote it out. Tony Brown, do whatever you got to do, but you're still going to be a member of this team for the last year or two of your contract. Le'Veon Bell, you're just, we're not going to franchise you and do everything else. We're just going to pay you. And we're going to, we're going to ride this out for the next two, three years. And then everybody's gone. That's when you clear your house. Big Ben, Antonio mm-hmm. Brown, Le'Veon Bell, the offensive line's old. They're like just do a full rebuild after that. I I just would have waited. I would have saw that through to the end, regardless of off the field personalities and everything else. I just would have I would have saw it through because I think there was a real chance for them to get one more ring. And now I don't think they do. I don't think they can win one. But um, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens here. So Zach, is there anything at uh, Cheesehead TV from you that we need to check out this week? Uh, at the moment, I don't have anything planned. Just, you know, I got it's, it's a struggle coming up with content these days, Chad. And I did mm-hmm. that on purpose, by the way. All right, I, yes. on purpose. Okay. Um, I did write a piece on Saturday on uh, Jalen Thompson, the safety from Washington State University. He uh, he's entering the supplemental draft because he he got suspended. He got kicked out for the you know his, his senior season, so he's going into the supplemental draft, and he's projected to be a top five safety in the country. You know by by uh, next spring. So 
you know, that's, that's a name to watch, especially for the Packers who still kind of need safety depth. They're not really, you know, they signed Adrian Amos. They, they drafted Darnell Savage in the first round. That, that position still is kind of lacking behind those two guys. So, you know, that's one guy to watch. I wrote a story about that on Saturday. Um, that's all I have to promote right now. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, I wish there was like an equivalent of Chad Chase, but Chad is just such a deep white well, guy burn. Kyle. Kyle is pretty bad too. Yeah, but you're you're Zach. I don't know what the the equivalent of Zach would be. I don't know. <sighs> you can spend your life wondering. Zachary. Well, it's actually can my you real an name. An adult named Zachary. Can you actually go into like <laughs> any business and be like, "Hey, I'm Zachary," <laughs> or like go on a date and just be like, "Uh, yeah. oh yeah, Zachary. Yeah, I'm Zachary." That's why. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> That's why I feel bad for people named Bill. Like when, like when you're born, like how do you, as a parent, how do you look your baby in the face and be like, "I'm gonna name this thing Bill"? Um, I've always wondered what the right age to drop the Y on all those names are. Like Jimmy, Bobby, Davy. Like you can't be Davy anymore. <laughs> like there's a certain age where you're you're Dave, and I just wonder when that is. Billy. God. Yeah, I, you I got me. Know. You got me questioning like my whole like adulthood now. At some I point, I'm just gonna start I'm introducing gonna to... yourself as Zachary and just seeing their face and be like, "No, nah, I'm just kidding, it's Zach." I already um, do. Like, you know what? Do you I really? Just, yeah, I was just beginning to to like adjust to my name because I grew up hating Zachary. I wanted to be Zach, and now these last few years, I've kind of gotten adjusted to do it. I've been like, "Oh, I'm Zachary." You know, it's a formal, professional, whatever. Now you're making me hate it. You're making me just revert <laughs> back to the person I used to be. Mission accomplished. Mission God. accomplished. I stumbled into this. I, this is karma for all your Chad stuff that I have now talked you out of Zachary. Whatever, what a great man. Day. What, yeah, a great yeah, day. what a great day. Go with your peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> serial killer sociopath. <laughs> oh, Zachary Jacobson. Um, I appreciate uh, you making the time and uh, good luck with the name. It, it's, I'm sure you'll make the right decision. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. I always appreciate it. All right, Zachary. (laughs) All right, thanks, Chad. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we will be back another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.